Well, all year we're, we're working our way through the gospel according to John in a series called Finding Life in Jesus' Name. And today we're going to finish uh, John chapter 8. And we're considering the, the, the root of all the I am statements in John's gospel. You, if you've been with us so far, you might realize that we've, we've covered a couple of the I am statements of, of Jesus. There's actually seven metaphorical I am statements in John's gospel. We've seen I am Jesus claiming I am the bread of life, and then Jesus claiming I am the light of the world. Well, today Jesus claims to be I am. What does that mean? Why is that so significant? It's actually one of the most significant claims of Jesus in all of the Bible. And so today is a big day. I'm, I'm glad you came to church this morning because I am excited about this text. Are you ready? Are you set? Okay, grab a Bible or your Bible app and open it to John chapter 8. We're starting with verse 31. Now, we'll put it on the screens for you as well. John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. I just always encourage you to grab a Bible because I think sometimes it helps uh, for you to get into the habit of doing that as well. And sometimes it helps to follow along. Okay, John chapter 8, starting with verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you, really are, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Okay, let's pause here for now. So, last week we saw the interaction between Jesus and a large crowd of people who were in the temple in Jerusalem for the Festival of Tabernacles, as well as the Pharisees and religious leaders there, too. <clears throat> full temple court, full of people listening to Jesus teach. And Jesus makes the huge claim, I am the light of the world. And we saw last week the division that his teaching was causing as some believed in him while others didn't understand his teaching or flat out rejected it in the hardness of their hearts. Well, in a similar way, our passage today starts out with another big claim. If you hold to, or and that, that word is a special word in John's gospel, it's the same, it'll show back up in chapter 15 as remaining in or abiding in. If you hold to, remain in, abide in, my teaching, says Jesus, you are not only truly my disciples, but you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this, this is a positive statement, right? This is a good statement of Jesus. Don't you want to be free? Who doesn't want to be free? But instead of taking Jesus at his word, the people need some clarification. What do you mean, Jesus, that we will be set free? Do we need to be set free? Now, on one level, this doesn't really make sense because the Jewish people did indeed need to be set free. They needed political freedom or social freedom from the Roman Empire. They were not able to govern themselves and the Romans were just the latest in a long line of foreign rulers. So the people here in the temple courts must not be referring to political freedom. 
More likely, they mean moral freedom or spiritual freedom because they reference Abraham. We are Abraham's descendants, and we've never been slaves of anyone. Meaning, how can you say that we shall be free because we've already been a part of God's covenant people through our ancestry with Abraham? And it is here that Jesus articulates the main problem of the world. And the main problem, incidentally, if this is true, with every single one of us, even today. Very truly, I tell you. Now remember in John's gospel, this means pay attention. This is important. Everyone who sins, Jesus says, is a slave to sin. So one of the problems with sin is not just that it's particularly tempting for us, difficult for us to avoid, or even that it's harmful to us or to others. Here Jesus highlights this teaching that sin is enslaving. When we sin, we have to serve sin as a slave has to serve their master. Now Jesus is using this vivid language of slavery and liberation because It was a common situation in the Roman Empire. The people he was speaking to would have been familiar with this as a concept. But his purpose here is to highlight the real problem of the world. And think, it's not first a political problem. It's not first a problem of a lack of education or health care or finances either. The real problem in this world of darkness is this. Sin owns us, and we need to be set free. If you don't believe me, just try this week, go ahead and try as hard as you can to perfectly love God and perfectly love your neighbor as yourself. Just for this week, just for a day, Or just try to be completely honest with yourself and with other people and see how often you are tempted to distort the truth, even to yourself. Or just walk around the mall or scroll online for a little bit and just see if you can stay perfectly content with all the stuff you already have and not feel the the greed or the lust for more creep up into your heart. Listen, the truth is that half the time we don't even meet our own standards of goodness, of what it means to be a good person, much less a perfect person. And this is nothing compared to the stranglehold that lust or pride or anger or anxiety has over some of us. We really do have a problem. Now, continuing the metaphor, Jesus says that a slave has no permanent place in the family. A slave, in this context, would be a household slave or servant. They're there, but they're not supposed to stay there. He says, but a son belongs to. Now, this is that same word as holds to earlier. A son belongs to, a son remains in, a son abides in this family forever. So he concludes, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So according to Jesus, the main problem of the world, and 
everyone in it, including you and I, welcome to church, is the, including the people he was talking to who were Jewish people by birth, is our enslavement to sin. And the main consequence of this is that we have no permanent place in the family where Jesus is the true son. Now, the solution that Jesus offers here is not just to believe his teaching, but to hold to his teaching, to cling to it, to keep believing in it, to persevere in his teaching. But if we do so, his promise is that the truth of his teaching, the truth of his word, the truth offered by the true son, Jesus himself, will liberate you, will set you free. This is an incredible message. Best sermon yet. Not no, from me, from Jesus, okay? <laughs> Verse 37. <clears throat> this is way better than eat my flesh and drink my blood. <laughs> it's going to blow up. How do the people respond? Verse 37. Jesus continues, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not be belong to God. Okay, let's pause once again. So again, when feeling pushed back from the crowd, Jesus doesn't soften his teaching. He doubles down. This is a pattern of Jesus in John's gospel. He says, it's not just that you're slaves to sin and you need to be set free, which frankly, for people who are trying to be good people, is, might be a little insulting. It's not just that he says that. He says that you're not children of God or even children of Abraham. You're children of the devil. And this, Now, this isn't Jesus insulting the people or name-calling. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the original temptation by Satan led to the loss of spiritual life and a broken relationship between God and humanity. From the beginning, death was the object. From the beginning, lies were the means. Now here, Jesus knows that, again, that some in the crowd wanted to kill him. 
The original temptation was based on a lie that the word of God was not trustworthy or true. Did God really say, no, you will not surely die? Now here, Jesus knows that some in the crowd do not accept his word. They do not accept his teaching as trustworthy and, or true. Jesus is saying, you're acting just like your father. And the devastating reason that Jesus gives is that it's because they do not belong to God. Well, how do you think the people would respond to that? How would you feel if you were in the crowd that day? Look at verse 48. The Jews answered him, Aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? I am not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. If you'd like something to underline in your Bible, you should probably underline that. At this, the people exclaimed, Now we know you are demon-possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus replied, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. You're not yet 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. This is God's word. So did you notice how John brilliantly builds the tension throughout this whole scene until the dramatic climax right at the end here. Uh, but the people respond, okay, exactly how we would have predicted them to respond when Jesus said they were the son of the devil and they did not belong to God. They took uh, slight offense at that and they're furious and they say, aren't we right in saying that you're a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Now that doesn't come as much of a slam to us today as it would have 2,000 years ago because as some of you might know, the Jews and the Samaritans had a terrible relationship with each other at this time. They lived right next to each other. They were neighbors. Uh, but they had big religious and ethnic and social and political differences that had resulted in violent conflict at several points over hundreds of years of history up until this time, the time of Jesus. So calling Jesus a Samaritan and demon-possessed in that day were both intended to be major insults. But Jesus doesn't play into their character attack. He is fully secure in his relationship with God the Father in heaven. And this assurance of this relationship is the context for yet another bold claim. Not only will holding to the word, 
or the teaching of Jesus set you free from enslavement to sin, but death as well. Verse 51 says, very truly I tell you, in other words, pay attention, this is important, whoever obeys my word will never see death. This is the second bold claim of this passage. How can this be, respond the people? Abraham and the prophets obeyed the word of God, but they died. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Or perhaps, just who do you make yourself out to be? Are you greater than Abraham? Are you greater than the prophets? Jesus responds by saying, I'm not making myself out to be anything. I'm not glorifying myself. There is one who is glorifying me. There is one who is lifting me up. There is one who is exalting me. My Father, Jesus says, who you claim as your God is the one who glorifies me. So here, Jesus reveals that he is not selfishly seeking the glory, honor, and fame, but to deny that the Father was glorifying the Son would make Jesus out to be a liar. That simply was not the case. This whole enterprise of the Father sending the Son to be the Savior of the world and to rescue his people, not from Caesar, but from the greater oppressors of sin and death, was the promised plan of God the whole time. It was what God had promised to do starting back in Genesis 3, verse 15, with his promise that the offspring of the woman would crush the head of the ancient serpent, that is the devil. It was what God had promised to do in Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 with, uh, with the promise that the offspring of Abraham would be a blessing to all the nations. It was what God had promised to do in 2 Samuel 7 with his promise to King David that from his offspring would come a king who would reign over the kingdom of God forever and ever. And on and on and on. There are so many promises that this is what God was doing. So Jesus could say in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. This means that everything God had promised to Abraham was coming to fulfillment in the person and the work of Jesus. Jesus is saying this is a dividing line of all history. This is the, the culmination of everything that God has ever done for his people. But the people reject this claim. Maybe taking Jesus a little too literally, saying, you're not yet 50 years old. This is a round number, they said to him. Jesus was in his early 30s at the time. And you say that you've seen Abraham this Abraham who was alive like about 2,000 years before this day? Like what a ridiculous claim is this? But then in the dramatic climax of this passage and the third marked statement of Jesus in this passage, he says, very truly I tell you, again, pay attention, this is important. Before Abraham was born, I am. Now, if Jesus wanted to claim that he actually was alive and had existed some 2,000 years earlier during the time of Abraham, 
it would have been grammatically easier to say, before Abraham was born, I was. But that's not what he says. Why not? Well, the answer lies in the Exodus story in the Old Testament. And this is the key to understanding not just this passage, but all of the I am statements in John's gospel. The book of Exodus starts with the people of Israel in a fairly dire situation. They had moved to Egypt during the time of Joseph, Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. But several hundred years later, they no longer enjoyed a place of honor that they had under Joseph there in Egypt. They were, they were held in captivity. They were slaves, and they were being treated very harshly by the Egyptian masters. So when God appeared to Moses in the famous story of the burning bush, and appointed Moses, called Moses to lead his people out of captivity in Egypt, Moses asks God about his identity. Let's look at this passage together in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And now the, the Hebrew phrase for I am, meaning something like I am existence itself. <laughs> it's a little dramatic, God, okay? <laughs> it's kind of dramatic. I am existence itself. I would have said it like that. That's where the personal name of God comes from. The, the name Yahweh God in the Old Testament sounds like the Hebrew for I am. Now, out of respect for the divine name of God, anywhere in the Old Testament that the personal name of God comes up, Yahweh, it is translated as Lord in all caps. But the underlying name for God is I am. Now, this history reveals why the people picked up stones to try and kill Jesus. Because they rightly understood that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh God, the great I Am himself. None other than the one who stood in the burning bush, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and the Exodus, the God of David and the kingdom, even the God of the prophets and the exile. But instead of accepting that claim in faith, instead of believing in Jesus, they angrily and murderously reject Jesus in the hardness of their hearts. But again, it wasn't yet the hour of Jesus, so he slipped away from the mob. So let's see if we can follow the logic of what happened here, because this is kind of a dense passage, right? Jesus said this, basically, at the beginning. If you hold to my word, you'll be set free from slavery to sin and death. The people said, how can this be? Since we are children of Abraham and therefore children of God, you are not, Jesus answered, as shown by your rejection of me and my teaching. You are actually children of the devil. Who do you think you are, they replied. And Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay, and see. 
<laughs> All right? This is a wild scene in the temple that day. And then Jesus slips away. But what does this dramatic story mean for us today? What do we do with this? How do we apply this to our lives? Well, I'm going to leave you this morning with two thoughts. First, authentic disciples remain in the truth of Jesus' teaching. Authentic disciples remain in the truth of Jesus' teaching. So this passage is full of contrast. John loves contrasts. Truth and lies. Children of God, children of Abraham, children of the devil. Right? Slaves and free people. What they've seen and what they've heard. Honor and dishonor. And of course, life and death. Well, for those who call themselves Christians today, it is good to compare and contrast the, the true or authentic disciple of Jesus from the false disciple. We must do this today. And the reason is this. I wish there was some kind of indicator light that would re reveal true and authentic faith, genuine faith from the counterfeit. But there isn't anything like that. Only God knows the human heart. But Jesus is saying that one of the best ways to know if you or someone you know is an authentic disciple of Jesus is perseverance. It's holding to the truth of God's word. Now this is not to say that God will not welcome the wayward or the prodigal son or daughter home. Jesus is clear that there is a great celebration. There's rejoicing in heaven when that happens. And this also doesn't mean that a deathbed confession of faith in Jesus is invalid. Like when you have no ability, really, to demonstrate perseverance in God's word. It's just this, that the best way for you to know for sure that you're an authentic disciple of Jesus and have assurance of faith and a, as a child of God is by faithfully adhering to God's word. It's obedience to the teaching of Jesus. So how about you? Does the teaching of Jesus have authority over you or not? Are you under God's word? Do you believe that Jesus is true even when he contradicts your preferences or your will? Do you cling to his teaching, seeking to understand it and apply it to your life as if your life depended on it? It's not obedience to God's word or to the way of Jesus that saves us. It's that saving faith in Jesus will produce a new heart and a new life of repentance and obedient faith. The grace of God makes us want to obey and follow God's way. So authentic disciples hold to, remain in, abide in the truth of Jesus' teaching. Second, authentic disciples are set free because of the truth of Jesus' identity. 
Authentic disciples are set free because of the truth of Jesus' identity. This is the great climax of this story, right? This is, this statement, if it's true, is the great climax of human history. The shocking revelation that the man Jesus of Nazareth was and is and ever will be Yahweh God, the great I Am, and the promised fulfillment of everything that the Father has promised to his people. And so authentic disciples are set free from sin and death, not just because Jesus was inspiring, not just because he had a lot of good ideas, was very wise, not because he was extremely popular. We authentic disciples are set free from sin and death because this is who Jesus is. How did he accomplish this? Because just as the I am did in the time of the Exodus, so Jesus sets us free from our captivity, our slavery, not from Egypt, not from Rome, but from sin and death. And the I am then leads us in our freedom into the promised land of his abundant life, of his kingdom and his family forever. So authentic disciples remain in the truth of Jesus' teaching. This was Peter's response that we saw earlier in John's gospel. Lord, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. Authentic disciples are set free because of the truth of Jesus' identity, of who he is. So today, may we be people who cling to the teaching of Jesus and trust in him to be both the Messiah and God, to be our Savior and our Lord. May we trust in him both now and forever. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we do believe, and yet, Lord, help us in the areas of our lives where we have unbelief. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would open the hearts of those who do not believe to the goodness and the truth of your word and your identity. I pray for us who do believe, Lord, that you would help us to grow in our knowledge of what is true, our understanding of your word and our ability to apply it to our lives in repentance and faith. Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience with us. Men and women who are seeking to learn your way and understand and believe your word. Help us today, Lord, we ask. Help us by the power of your spirit to follow you, to persevere in your teaching. And one day, Lord, to reach that land where you are leading us. To reach that land of abundant life. The land of your kingdom. 
the land of your family, your household. You are good and you are glorious and we thank you in advance for what you will do in our lives as a result of this teaching. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.